Welcome to the Thriller Fiction Podcast, your source for gripping and twisty stories in a serialized format. And now, here's your host, Jim Heskett. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Thriller Fiction Podcast. My name is Jim Heskett and I am your host. Thank you, friend, for joining me today as we read the first chapter of the Micah Reed novel, Breaking Bullets, the book formerly known as Snitch. That was its first title when it was published. So, thanks for coming. I hope that you will go to jimheskett.com. That's J-I-M-H-E-S-K-E-T-T.com and check out the free books that I have for offer there, whether you are into thrillers or dystopian slash post-apocalyptic thrillers, that there's something there for everybody. And uh, go check out jimheskett.com forward slash contest to see what current giveaway I'm running. So like I mentioned last week, let me just recap what we're doing here. I'm going to read the first chapter of Breaking Bullets, and then I am going to give you some behind-the-scenes information about where it came from. We'll talk about the genesis for that chapter and for that book as a whole and how it fits into Micah Reed's life. So Breaking Bullets, uh, last week we read the uh, first chapter of Paper, Paper Tiger. In Breaking Bullets, uh, this book, this chapter we're reading occurs a couple years after that. So we see Mike as he's a little bit older. He's 26 or 27 now. And uh, it's essentially, well, I guess you could say, the beginning of the end for Michael McBriar, for the person who's to become Micah Reed. And we'll learn more about that as the season goes on. So let's go ahead and get into it. I'm excited. I hope you're excited. And we'll read this and then we'll chat on the back end. As the cheese fries bubbled up from my stomach and barged into my throat, I barely managed to open the passenger door of the car and lean out in time. A full plate of fries, about a six-pack of beer, and two bourbon chasers ejected from my mouth onto the side of the road in three waves. Gross, Pug said from the driver's seat. If you got any of that on the side of my car, I will never forgive you. I spit a few times until I'd cleared out the sour wince in the back of my throat, sat upright in the seat, and closed the door. I know what I'm doing. I didn't spatter at all. Pug giggled. You crazy bastard. I wiped my mouth and yanked the flask from my pocket, then washed out the terrible taste of puke. You know it. I guess it's a good thing you didn't have to drive here today. After replacing the flask, I popped open the glove box and removed my new Beretta 92FS. I don't drive drunk. You know this. It's funny that you don't see the irony there since you're a driver and you seem to always have that flask with you. I pivoted in the seat and faced him. You've gotten sassy ever since you came out. Pug reached under his seat and fished around until he found his desert eagle. He ejected the clip, tapped a finger on the bullet at the top, and then popped it back in. I've always been sassy. You just weren't paying attention. Pug smiled, but he didn't sell it well. Maybe it was because we were in Manford, Oklahoma, smack in the middle of red dirt meth country. Or maybe because we were about to walk into some tweaker's house and wave our guns in his face. And we didn't know if the tweaker would be alone or if he might have a dozen armed tweaker friends with him. I don't see anyone scoping us through the windows, I said. Doesn't mean they're not there, Mikey. Now Pug openly frowned. It pulled his face down, making it more angular. Despite the name Pug, he wasn't what you might picture, portly with a goatee and natty hair. 
No, Philip Gillespie was tall, square-jawed, muscular, with styled blonde hair and crystalline blue eyes. I had no trouble believing he was gay when he'd come out. Straight guys don't take such immaculate care of their skin. Other people in our organization, though, didn't receive the news so well. Of the ones he told, at least. Some of them might not hesitate to put a bullet in him if they learned Pug was a maricón. We can do front-back, I said, but someone walking in solo might not send the message we're looking for. Depends on if we want show of force or kinder gentler. I vote force, he said. Both front, guns out. I sipped from my flask and slipped it back into my pocket. Swingin' dicks it is, then. Peeing your pants does wonders to make you humble, and I don't think it'll take much to get the message across to this guy. Pug watched me drink, sighing. Maybe you could wait until after we do this before having any more? I'm fine, I said. Cleared out all the space I need. It practically reset me to zero. Pug rolled his eyes. What are you, some frat boy? Puke and rally? You're a little old for that. I studied him, trying to figure out if he was genuinely warning me or if he was only messing with me. No doubt that he was nervous about what we were here to do. Don't worry about me, I said. I'm good to go. Pug traced his finger around the steering wheel of the car, and for some reason, the silence bothered me. Grasshoppers clicked and birds chirped, but the void inside Pug's car was louder than a jet engine. I'd had a sentence on my lips all day, but I hadn't been able to spit it out. The recurring mantra that had been at the front of my brain for the last year or so every time I slipped a gun into an ankle holster or hid a package in my Jeep's spare tire. I don't want to be here, I said. Me neither, Pug said. Too many unknowns. No, I mean, at all. I've been giving it a lot of thought lately. I don't want to work for these people anymore. Pug considered this. I hear you. It's not like it used to be. You have a reason to be here, at least, I said. I don't know what I'm doing here anymore. We sat in silence for a few seconds, and my fingers drifted down to the bump in my right pocket, where the severed head of a Boba Fett action figure sat next to my car keys. Touching that little piece of plastic gave me some comfort and helped settle my racing thoughts. Boba and I would chat later, when we were alone. Let's go, I said. The longer we sit here, the more likely we are to be spotted. Pug shoved his Desert Eagle in the front of his pants and cracked open the car door. He let out a dramatic sigh that lasted for at least five seconds. Finally, he plucked the cigarette from behind his ear and stuck it between his lips. I'm ready to get this over with. We approached the house at the top of the hill slowly, paying attention to the windows. I didn't see bloodshot eyes peeking out, but Pug was right. They could still be here. Hiding on top of the roof, maybe, or under some of the trash in the yard. You never know with these crazy rednecks. But our contact had to expect we'd be coming. This tweaker had been fronted two ounces of cocaine and had returned zero dollars for our organization's investment. He should have known our employers wouldn't forget about something like that. The house was ranch-style, one long rectangular structure like a trailer, small shed off to the side, and three cars in the yard like abandoned islands. Not up on blocks, but the rusting underneath the cars indicated they'd been marinating there for a while. I flicked my head at the shed and Pug nodded. He crept up, to, he crept up next to one of the cars and sat against the tire, then lifted his pistol at the shed. With my gun out, I crept toward the little wooden building and then creaked the door open. Nothing but a detached garage filled with tools and car parts. Some remote controls with their guts hanging out, pieces of lawnmowers strewn about the floor, 
a tweaker's collection of endless projects that have been started but no one would ever finish. Some of these tools might be worth something. I made a mental note, in case this visit went bad. Sweat dripped from my eyebrow under my nose and I wiped it with the sleeve of my t-shirt. July in, Bru in Oklahoma was brutal like nothing you've ever seen, except for maybe August in Oklahoma. Mosquitoes, chiggers, endless breaths of sneeze-inducing ragweeds, summer storms with warm rain. I'd had about enough at this place. For some reason, a canister of bug spray caught my eye, and I lifted it from the shelf and wiped the dust from it. In eighth grade, we used to spray the stuff on hand towels and then inhale the fumes. Crazy, crazy shit we used to do back then. You okay? Pug said. I spun to find him standing in the doorway of the shed, his pistol at his side. I lifted the bug spray. Remember when we used to huff this crap? Do I remember being young and dumb? Most definitely. He beckoned me out of the shed with a flick of his wrist. Come on, let's drive down memory lane later. We have work to do now. I dropped the can of bug spray and we skulked toward the house. We paused on either side of the front door. Want me to do this? He said. I got it, I said as I raised my leg to kick in the door. Wait, Pug said. I paused. What? My key today's not our day. I grinned and shook my head. No, it's not. We'll have more after this. My leg thrust out and kicked in the door. All right, that is the first chapter of Breaking Bullets, the novel formerly known, a.k.a. Snitch. And um, actually, uh, in the novel, there's a prologue and an epilogue that I've omitted from the chronological edition of uh, Micah Reed because it doesn't make sense for the timeline. It's uh, The novel is bookended with Micah um, uh, talking to his boss and his AA sponsor, Frank, uh, sometime in the future. But in the, um, the chronological edition that I'm reading now, the chapter one, it just goes right into Pug and Micah's story. And in terms of, of uh, when the books were actually published, this was the first time that we've met Pug. In, in, um, that's why he is described here, but he's not described last week when we were reading Paper Tiger. Because Pug had been mentioned several times in the series up to this point, but this is the first time we've actually flashed back in time to Micah's um, life before moving to Denver, before taking on the name Micah Reed. We're flashing back on his time and actually um, meeting his best friend, the man named Pug, who and I hope you got the impression like the story about how they used to huff bug spray was a um, to demonstrate how long you know that they've known each other for a long time. They actually grew up together and have been friends since high school. So where did this come from? Breaking Bullets was the fifth Micah Reed book that I wrote, the fourth and published in the series. And after writing Airbag Scars, then Nailgun Messiah, then uh, Casino Cartel, then Blood Thief. Uh, I hadn't really talked about Micah's past. There were bits and pieces that got mentioned in the previous books, but we never actually saw what his life was like before prison. And that was like the number one question I would get from readers. It's like, when are we going to go back and find out where Micah came from? When are we going to you know, get to know his story? And so I relented and I wrote this story that explains where he came from, how he got to be in witness protection, and how he came to go to prison and then move to Denver. And it's, I think it's definitely one of the strongest books in the series because you really see a very different Micah, so different even that his name is not Micah Reed, his name is Michael McBriar, and you get to see him 
at a very dark time in his life because he's drinking, he's drinking a lot, and he's working for these people, and he doesn't want to be there anymore. So he is really unhappy with his life, and his best friend Pug is just about the only thing that's keeping him going. Um, and so you see he's a driver for this criminal organization, and he doesn't want to be there. And you find out over the course of the book how that came to be, and other books um, you know, describe how Micah actually came to work for these people. But you know, I mean, by reading the other books, you know that it had to come to an end at some point, um, and that, you know, that's there's that saying that there's no such thing as an old junkie. Well, there are very few old criminals, and so Micah wasn't going to be able to keep up this criminal lifestyle for a while. And this was absolutely, at least at the time, I could say the hardest and most challenging Micah Reed book that I had written, because there's a law in fiction that says that the reader has to like your main character. <laughs> You know, I, I don't want to read a book about people that I can't stand. Um, and I've, I've put books down before because I didn't like the characters or didn't find them compelling. I guess like is a strong word because somebody like Walter White in Breaking Bad, you don't really like Walter White because he's not a good guy, but he is incredibly compelling. Or Kelsey Grammer in the TV show Boss is another good example. He's not likable, but he's compelling. Or Tony Soprano. I don't know, no, uh, no books are coming to mind, only TV shows. But So I had to make Micah compelling, and I had to make him likable while also making him a bad guy. How do you make a criminal, someone who hurts people for a living, into a good guy and someone that you can root for? And that was a real challenge when I set out to write this book of Breaking Bullets. It was very difficult. And did I pull it off? You know, question mark. I don't know. You're going to have to decide that for yourself. But um, I think that's all I have to say about it uh, this week. Stay tuned next week for the next installment of the Micah Reed Chronological Edition. Thanks for listening, friend, and I hope you'll check out jameska.com for free stuff. And, you know, uh, I would really appreciate it if you would rate and review this podcast on iTunes or wherever else you listen to it. Those ratings and reviews help out a lot. All right, take care. That's it for this episode of the Thriller Fiction Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to rate and review the show on iTunes and visit jimheskett.com for more info and free thriller books.